Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this week to study the Bible with us. That's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is answer as many questions as we can. And our questions come from you. We're a little different than a lot of religious TV programs. Some tell you what they think you ought to know. Uh, we let you tell us what you'd like to know. So that's the way we operate. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime to give us a question or let us know what you're interested in. And you direct this program. And I, Steve Tandy, and my friend Toby Levering will try to answer those questions for you. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, uh, I think I got the first one today, but we always start with one for our viewers. So here's yours for the day. Rahab, a character in the Old Testament. What was her occupation? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end, see if you know the story of Rahab. All right, here's a big question. Viewer wants to know, were there real giants in the Old Testament? Uh, the Bible Testament, the Bible does mention giants occasionally, and we'll look at a verse that says that in a moment. But uh, the brief answer is yes, if you mean were there some big people in the Old Testament. Uh, I think there really were. But if you're thinking of a mythological kind of giant, like the, the Cyclops or the uh, Paul Bunyan kind of giant that's, you know, their feet make the Great Lakes or their footprints and things like that. Now, I don't think there were those kind of mythological giants, creatures, but there were some big people. How big they were, we don't know. We're only told the height of uh, Goliath, and he was nine foot something. Uh, we're also told about a king, Og, who had a really big bed. His bed was 13 feet long and 6 feet wide, so uh, he was a big man. Uh, let's read a verse that talks about giants, and that's in Numbers 13, uh, verses 32 and 33. This is a report of the spies when they went over to the Promised Land. It says, All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from giants. Well, the Anakim, the descendants of Anak, are one of the groups of people that are called giants, or actually the literal word means tall people or big people. So uh, when the King James was translated and a lot of others that followed it you know, called them giants, but the word didn't mean Paul Bunyan kind of giants. It meant big people, tall people. Uh, the Rephaim are mentioned a few times also as being kind of this race of very tall people. Uh, the Anakim, the Zamzuman, there's some other races, uh, groups of people that are, are called tall. In fact, one verse uh, in Deuteronomy 2 says the Zamzumites were as tall as the Anakites. Okay. So, Tall, big, 
bigger than normal people, yes, there were those kind of giants in the Old Testament. And for that matter, there are still tall people today. Uh, people that are a lot bigger than the normal person. And when we see them, we, some might call, well, he's a giant. Uh, tall people. <laughs> All right. Uh, viewer asked a question, of one that we get on here on occasion from time to time. What does the Bible say about reincarnation? And the Bible doesn't say anything about reincarnation. Uh, according to the Bible, death is a one-time singular event. There is no reincarnation. The word reincarnation means to be uh, reincarnate, to be put into flesh again. Um, the idea of live many lives... You, die and then you kind of recycled into a different life form or a, a different person, different life, and people say, yeah, past lives and all of that. The Bible doesn't speak of any of that. In fact, um, it just says very clearly that death is a one-time event. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So, uh, the Bible's clear on that. Death is a, a one-way passage, and uh, the only thing we need to do is make sure we're ready for it. We can't escape it. We just need to be prepared for it. So, I hope that uh, helps for you. The Bible doesn't say anything about reincarnation. All right. Bible does say something about this next question, though. Viewer wants to know, how does someone go about being a good witness? Uh, and I assume they mean a witness for Christ, somebody that lives a life where people can see Christ and hear about Christ. Uh, be a good witness for Christ. And that's a good question. Uh, some people might read that and uh, or use the term and think about uh, being that you have to witness to everybody. You have to confront people and uh, tell them the story of Jesus. Uh, you're in line at the grocery store, tell the person that in front of you about Jesus. <clears throat> and if you want to do that, that's fine. And we should speak the truth in love and, and all of that. But the biblical formula, uh, if you will, I think kind of breaks down into two things. Uh, whether you're a confrontational type or a inclined to do that kind of thing or not. Uh, here's what the Bible says about being a witness, I believe. There's two steps. First one is in First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And Peter says, We ought to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter says the first step to being a good witness is live a good life. Uh, kind of like that verse from James that Toby was talking about. Don't just hear the word, but do it. Uh, treat people right. Don't be judgmental. Love your enemy. Do all these things that Jesus talked about. Live such a good life that the people that condemn Christianity or make fun of Christians and all that, when they see your life, they realize, okay, there's something different about this person. All right. Second step, I believe, is in the next chapter of First Peter, chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect. All right, so Peter says, live such good lives that people notice there's something different about you. And then he says, be ready to give an answer. Because some of them will ask. They'll say, okay, I saw how you handled that death in your family. I saw you how you handled that tragedy. I saw how he handled it. And you're different than other people. Why do you have that kind of hope? And Peter says, be ready to give an answer. Well, then you witness to them, if you want to use that term. Uh, you tell them, well, here's why I have hope. Uh, I believe in Jesus. Jesus changed my life. Uh, explain it to them. Be ready to give an answer. So I know there's lots of ways to go about witnessing, uh, but I think Peter's advice there is pretty foundational. Live a good life so people notice. Be ready to give them an answer when they ask you why you're different than the world. Take this moment and invite you to study the Bible with us outside of this program. We enjoy answering questions, but uh, there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll ever get to on this program. So we invite you to uh, study at home, do it on your own, uh, maybe with a group of people. There's, we've got some tools that will help you do that. If you're interested in that, uh, here's a course that we send out through the mail. There's eight lessons in it, and it's just a good non-denominational overview of the Bible. We've got other advanced courses that take you through the book of Acts and the life of Jesus and some history of the Bible, lots of interesting Bible studies there. And we're happy to provide those to you through the mail also. We've also added some online courses that are a good way to study in-depth the Bible uh, electronically. Get your phone out, your tablet, your PC, and do your Bible study. And uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and you'll get hooked up with that uh, course. Great way to study the Bible, keep you busy studying the Bible for a long time. So if you're interested in Bible study, we've got some ways to help you get started and keep studying. Uh, use a phone number, website on the screen. Anytime. Tell us you'd like to study the Bible. We'll get it started for you. All right, Toby, what's up here? Yeah, we have a question about where does it say? We get those from time to time. Where does it say in the last days brothers will be against brothers? Well, uh, Jesus did say that. This was, uh, in fact, he said it more than one occasion. We have it a couple of times in the gospel accounts. Uh, Jesus was very clear that when it came to following him, uh, that would be a decision that for some people would divide families. Uh, their allegiances uh, with even within the same family might differ. And uh, Jesus was just uh, saying, hey, this, this is going to come down. It's going to get pretty difficult. And you need to make sure your allegiance and your love is to me even more than your own family. Not that you would not love your family, but just have a higher allegiance to Jesus and hold fast to his teachings. Uh, let's look at a couple of places where this is specifically said. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And in Mark chapter 13, verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Pretty almost identical scriptures there. And uh, the context is simply that Jesus was warning his disciples uh, that there was a coming day of persecution. And we, of course, know historically that that was true. Uh, there was a heavy pers persecution of Christians in the first century. 
And uh, Jesus was saying, you know, you got to understand that I, I did not come to this world to bring peace and that those who line up behind me will face trouble. In fact, in, we read Matthew 10, 10 and verse 34, he said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, for I have not come to bring peace but a sword. He says, it goes on to say, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And uh, this, this historically we know is true. Uh, and so it, that's where it says it, and, and that's why Jesus said it, is because uh, Jesus doesn't want to split families apart. Uh, but even today, there are times when a person will choose to follow Jesus, choose to obey the teachings and the commands of Jesus, and maybe they have a whole family, a heritage, a lineage of people who go who do not follow the teachings of Jesus, uh, who follow man-made doctrines, and, and that just runs in the family, and there's a lot of family pressure. And this person says, well, I, I need to obey Jesus. So um, the, the lesson is, is clear. We should love our families. That's fine. But uh, when it comes right down to it, Jesus, uh, if you choose to obey him, sometimes will cause division even within the family. I hope that helps explain it a little bit. All right. Got a question that we've never gotten before, I don't think, but it's very interesting. Viewer says, why do you think God made people with different color skin? It has caused a lot of world issues and problems. All right. Well, the warning word there is why. Why did God? Uh, Anytime we get a question like that, we pretty well know we don't know the answer. Uh, we don't know a lot about why God did things. So I can't tell you, but to be asked not to tell him from the Bible, but what do I? Th- why do I think God made people with different color skin? Uh, I can't tell you that either. I don't know why he did. Uh, maybe he just likes diversity. I'm not being flippant there. Uh, God does like diversity. You know, why are tulips different than roses? He didn't have to make, well, he didn't have to make flowers for that matter. Uh, but why did he make so many different flowers? Why did he make so many different trees, so many different colored birds? Uh, God gave us a diverse, exciting, interesting world. It's not boring. Uh, now, if every human looked exactly the same, uh, which God could have done, it would be pretty boring. Uh, but he made us all look different. He made us different colors. He made us different in so many ways. And why did he do that? Uh, maybe just so things wouldn't be boring, but I think God probably had a purpose, uh, wanted us to recognize that we're all different, but we're all the same. Now, oh, I know we focus in on color of skin, and that's the, the thing these days is to make that the, the, the root of all evil. Uh, If you look at history, the problem is not the color of skin. The problem is flesh itself. We are humans. We are fallen. uh, We are greedy. We are jealous. And that's where man's problems come from. Now, our viewer said God made people different colors, and that's caused a lot of problems. Uh, I don't think that's the problem. Uh, As an example, I just read a book about the Crusades which I didn't know anything about the Crusades, really. Uh, and it, reading through it, what amazed me was all these battles and fighting over hundreds of years, uh, really, there was some religious attachment to it, but it really wasn't about religion all the time. A lot of it was about 
taking more land and expanding your kingdom and establishing trade routes and all of that. And a lot of the battles were between people that looked exactly the same. They were exactly the same race or nationality. They were fighting each other uh, to have more land and to have more wealth and, and all of that. So, yeah, some of it was about religion. Uh, some of it was about just plain old human greed and jealousy and all of that. So I think that's where the problem comes from. Now, is there a solution to that? How do we get around that? Well, fleshly, I don't think we will get around it. I think we'll always be battling each other as humans for all the human reasons. But there is a solution, and let's read that in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul said, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's <clears throat> no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's where the colors of the skin and the nationalities and the races and everything else goes away. In Christ we're all one. So hope that helps our viewers understand. I don't know why God made us look all so different, but uh, he did, and I'm sure he had a purpose for it. <laughs> we invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're provided, this program provided for you by Churches of Christ, and we like to mention a few each week that support this program. Uh, these are some in East Wichita and a little beyond. The church in Augusta, the church at, in Wichita at East Point. Uh, both of those congregations support this program and uh, believe what we do on Know Your Bible is a good thing. So drop in and visit them sometime. And Augusta, uh, Wayne Vogel's the minister out there, and I know you'd enjoy hearing him, uh, meeting him and the family at Augusta. Whatever viewing market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. So drop in and visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. And... Uh, let them know that uh, you appreciate the program. All right, Toby, what's up? We have a doctrinal question. What is the doctrine of election, and does it agree with the Bible? Well, the, the word doctrine simply means teaching. Uh, the doctrine of election is part of what we can call Calvinism, uh, teachings of Calvin, and uh, is in also kind of referred to as Reformed theology. Um, the, the basic teaching, and there's kind of five basic points, and you remember it with the acronym TULIP, uh, T-U-L-I-P, and uh, election, uh, the idea is that God uh, predestines, he pre-chooses those who will be saved, and, and also pre-chooses those who will not be saved, those who will be condemned. Now, when you read through scriptures, uh, especially the, in the New Testament, there are some scriptures that seem to point to this idea that we're predestined and, and Romans chapter 8 and all of that. If you, if you read it with that teaching in mind, it seems like, well, well it seems like uh, this is all predetermined beforehand and we're just sort of uh, uh, moving along through what God already decided. There's some practical problems with this teaching. Uh, we have to consider other scriptures, and other uh, some that I think of. Why evangelize? Why share the gospel? If God's already decided who's going to be lost and who's going to be saved, and that's going to happen, then why bother sharing the word, the teachings of Christ? Why uh, baptize people into Christ? Uh, why do any of that? If uh, 
uh, the, the, the other practical problem is, uh, it seems to me, uh, illogical that God creates beings that he is then going to condemn, uh, that he is going to uh, turn right around and destroy in eternal destruction. So there, there are some just thinking through it problems that I believe uh, Reformed theology creates. And there are some other scriptures. I mean, we can all kind of pick sides and pick one scripture that you like, pick other. On Know Your Bible, we really try to take what does the Bible in its entirety teach? What does the New Testament show us? And, and is a teaching or a doctrine in line with all of scripture, not just certain verses? Okay, there are some scriptures specifically that seem to go against this idea that there's, you know, pre-chosen, predestined, uh, eternal states with people. So let's look at some of these. One you're going to know very well, John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world, the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And whoever is important. I mean, that, that tells us that God desires uh, that all would be saved. And... Uh, it's it's for anyone who wants to take hold of it. Uh, faith in Christ is uh, available to all. First Timothy chapter two, three and four. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, "This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires." This is more specific than John three. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So. Uh, the my issue with the doctrine of election is that it. There are scriptures, John 3, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that very clearly say, no, that's not the desire of God. That's not the will of God, nor the heart of God. So how do we reconcile those things? In my view, God foreknew Jesus. He knew his plan was always to save the world through Jesus. I mean, before creation happened, Jesus was there. God knew he would give us free will, the ability to follow God or to reject God, and, and that many would choose to reject God and, and live in sin. God had a plan, a predestined plan, a, a pre-chosen way to, to redeem those, and that's all of us, by the way, who would choose sin. And that's my explanation, because I think that fits both allowing for John 3.16 and 1 Timothy 2, which says that God wants anyone, everyone, to come to salvation and Romans chapter 8 and other scriptures which give us this idea that there was always a plan in mind. So, uh, if you're in Christ, you are part of the elect. Uh, but he has left that choice to be in Christ up to you. So, uh, long answer, but the doctrine of election and Reformed theology is a, a whole lot of teachings there. And, and uh, so, just stick to the Bible and study its teachings and I think you'll be helped most. All right. Yeah, when you said tulip, T-U-L-I-P, uh, I can spell that. Uh, tulip, I got thinking, can I remember what all those yeah, five I, meant? Yeah, I didn't and I think I did, but uh, the U is the unconditional election, election right. uh, which means he elects us. doesn't matter what we do. Right. There's no conditions to it. So like when uh, Philip told the eunuch, eunuch said, could I be a Christ follower? Mm -hmm. Could I be a Christian? Uh, Philip said, if you believe, yeah. you may. Yeah. He had a condition <laughs> there. Right. And uh, Calvinism says there's unconditional right. election. So, yeah. yeah, there's a few problems with it. Yes, All for right. sure. Let's uh, see if we can answer a couple more here. Did Jesus have brothers and sisters? Well, he surely did. 
and at least six. So let's look at the verse that tells us that. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55, when he went back to his hometown, the people said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? So he had four brothers at least. Um, there may have been more we don't know about. He had four brothers and at least two sisters, since it's plural there. So he had at least six brothers and sisters. Uh, the doctrine that Mary was a perpetual virgin that, uh, is kind of distant discredited by that verse that's a teaching of man uh, no after she had Jesus as a virgin uh, she did have other children and that verse mentions specific names for a lot of them so he did have brothers and sisters alright one more here Toby. Yes, another question uh, does God really forget our sins or will we be held accountable to them and my answer to that is yes I believe there will be uh, um, some way in which we have a accountability uh, that under the law here's how we are de you know declared sinful I think we will have some accountability to that but the good news is the bad news is, under that standard, no one can stand. No one can be declared righteous through the law. It's not possible. Um, but in Christ, that accountability for those sins falls to Him. Uh, this is the idea of justification, uh, that, that you will be declared guiltless just as, just as if I'd, as justified, as, just as if I'd never sinned. So you are held accountable, but in Christ you can be justified and be declared righteous and guiltless uh, because of his sacrifice. And this is the beauty of the gospel. So, uh, yes, you will be held accountable. Uh, yes, God really forgets your sins in Christ. That's how it works. And that's the only way. His sacrifice is what atones for sin and pays the price for our sins so that you and I can be justified. Let's look at a scripture that uh, conveys, I think, both of these ideas rather well. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's, there's the justice, there's uh, the accountability. Someday we're going to come face to face with our Creator and know that we fall short of His glory. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, uh, in that way, God will forget and forgive your sins, not because they didn't happen, but because Jesus Christ paid the price for them. So, hope that helps you understand the answer to the question. The part about does God really forget our sins? Yeah. Uh, I sometimes think about that, and God really can't forget anything. Uh, but he, it's a, as if he forgets it because mm -hmm. he never brings it up again. Yeah. Uh, it's forgiven in Christ. And we know that physically in families, uh, if you've done something wrong uh, and your spouse forgives and forgets, they don't bring it up again. Mm -hmm. They bring it up every two weeks. Uh, they really haven't right. <laughs> sure. forgiven or forgotten. Right. Uh, and that's the way God is. He says, I forget them. They're gone. All right, let's answer a trivia question. What was Rahab's occupation? Here's one that was forgiven. She was a harlot. Joshua 2.1 tells us about that, but she's in the lineage of Christ. We're glad you've been with us today and hope that you come back next week to hear some more of your questions and our answers. 
Glad you've been with us. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.